Hey everyone, it's Mike. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Rethinking EDU. In this episode, we bring together a number of student and community member voices to talk about the potential and possibility of the future of education. You'll hear a little intro from me about the conversation at the beginning, but if you'd like to learn more, check out 100daysofconversations.org. And as always, keep rethinking EDU. Um, So today we're here as part of the 100 Days of Conversations initiative. 100 Days aims to collectively reimagine what school could be and should be post-pandemic and is trying to center the voices of students, educators, and families in decisions about how to remake school after this moment. The project is doing this by catalyzing conversations like this across the country for every day for the first 100 uh, days of the new administration. Conversations are between people within the same community because democracy requires conversation and practice having civil conversations seems important right now. The purpose of the conversation today is thus twofold. For everyone here to have a chance to reflect, to listen to one another, and to therefore better understand our own beliefs, or sorry, our own and others' perspectives, to continue or to contribute to a larger national set of conversations that are all going to be analyzed together for themes and insights and presented to state and national governments. Our goal is to utilize these conversations toward real change in schools. Before we get into some introductions, I've got a couple of ground rules and norms that I want to share with everybody. Um, It's really important that we sort of have a respectful discourse in this conversation. And so there are three big norms and ground rules that I would like to push to everybody. And then I would love for you to share any sort of norms or ground rules that you would like to share. So the first is uh, listen respectfully, let others express their views without interruption, mute and use the chat when you're not talking. The second is um, step up, step back, be mindful of how much time you take up at the mic, Your voice is important, but please step up and make sure it's heard, but also make sure that everyone's voice is equally important and step back if you notice that you've spoken too much. Unfortunately, it's like all me talking right now. I kind of feel like I am like disobeying my own norm here, but. (laughs) And then the third thing is disagree with kindness. It's okay to disagree or hold a different perspective In fact, we encourage, us as a group, we encourage these things, but assume best intentions for everybody in the group. So those are our three big norms for this group. Does anybody want to add anything else or feel like they would like to share another norm that's important to them? Okay, great. So um, if you could just share your first name, where you're joining from, your organization and role, so if you're a student, teacher, whatever, why you're here today, and one hope for our conversation. And um, I'll let anybody go first that wants to go first. Are we sharing this out loud, Mike? Yes, please. This is not the chat. I can go first if, if, if we need somebody to go first. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, Jane, have at it, please. Go okay. first. Okay. <laughs> let me look at what the, what the questions you're asking are. Um, I am Jane Shore. I am joining from the corner of my bedroom in Philadelphia, where I started uh, sitting 
at the start of the pandemic. I am, uh, my role is head of research and innovation at Revolution. So I know these lovely um, young people, Simon and Maria, and I also know Maddie from that uh, experience. Um, and I am here today because um, I love hearing the insights and I get inspired by young people who are in this conversation with us, making um, the change happen in education. And I hope um, in this conversation to um, carry some language forward as I um, continue to engage in conversation around um, educational change as we create schools and we create spaces for learning everywhere. Who wants to go next? Um, I can go. So my name is Maddie. I'm joining from my dorm in West Philadelphia. I am uh, a student, a freshman at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and I'm joining today and my hope for today is uh, to learn more from people who have different experiences with education. I um, had one experience. I went to the same school pre-K through or kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, and so that was like a really homogenous experience. And I wanna um, hear from people who've had different experiences from my own. I can go next. Um, I'm Jared, I'm coming from New Jersey, um, my bedroom in New Jersey and my dad. Um, one thing I hope to get out of today um, is just to hear other experiences with just the education system and just hear other students' experiences and professionals' experiences um, with how education in America really works. Uh, my name is Simon. Uh, I'm joining up from my bedroom, uh, Southwest Philadelphia. Uh, my hope for today is just voice my opinions in education and also hear other period, other people's experiences with it. Uh, my name is Maria. I'm joining from my bedroom in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm, I'm a sophomore at Revolution School and uh, I'm here today just to hear others' uh, experiences and share my own. Um, so my name is Kyle. I am from my bedroom at Northeast Philly. Um, and I'm joining here because I want I like to share in conversations with other students. And um, my one hope from this conversation is to like share thoughts and ideas about education, the educational system. Thanks, y'all. I'm Mike. I'm joining from Conshohocken, Pennsylvania, lovely dwelling by the river. I'm in my office right now with my dog sitting next to my feet. I'm the director of college counseling at AIM Academy. I'm here because uh, I believe strongly that school for most students in the United States is not a positive experience. I'm here because I think that a majority of schools in the United States need dramatic transformational change. I am hoping that our conversation will uncover an amazing aha moment for all of us that will lead to some sort of unveiling of education um, norms that might shake up what exists for most students in the United States. Cool, awesome. Thanks everybody for sharing. I've got a list of nine questions here that I would like to get through. We'll get through as many as we can in the time that we have. Um, we'd love to hear from everybody for all the questions. But if you don't want to share about a question or you feel like somebody's already shared something that might resonate with you, um, you don't have to share uh, your thoughts about a question. 
Um, and I'm going to chat over the questions to everyone and also um, just audibly share them, right? And you're more than welcome to chime in. You can also like agree, disagree, whatever with other people in the in the conversation. It's up to you, you know? Um, so the, the first question really has, has maybe like tangential relationship to school, maybe as we understand it most of the time. Um, and the question is, uh, what makes a good life for you? Not even what makes good school, what makes a good life for you? And I have two other questions that kind of fall in line with that, right? Is number one, is there a difference be between a good life as a young person and a good life as an adult? And if you said happy, I want you to qualify your happy, right? What do you think it takes to be happy or what does that mean for you? So you definitely want to answer that first question that I typed over. Um, but if you want to touch on any of those other questions, that would be great too. You don't have to touch on those questions though. So let people take a minute to think, but if you're ready, you can unmute yourself and hop on in. Uh, for me, the number one thing that comes to me when it comes to like a good life is financial, financial freedom. That's number one. But like outside of this stuff, you know, like materials, like stuff like that. But like, number one, it's just financial freedom. I want to be able to wake up and not stress about how I'm going to get my food or how I'm going to get to my job, whatever, stuff like that. Uh, I think for me, the two things that I thought of were freedom and uh, a purpose. So having something to do that uh, you feel passionate and being able to do that without other people controlling what you're doing. I think for me, a, a good life means being connected. Um, so being a part of something and maybe that's connected to purpose. Maybe the people, that, the group you're a part of has a singular purpose, but I think mostly it's about um, having a community and, and um, being connected to others. Um, and that follows in for young life and adult life, I think. Um, what was important for me is to be connected. I think for me, it's like having a good support system um, of just people I can trust. And I think a lot of it is also like being comfortable with who you are. If you're somebody that like you're trying to please other people and not yourself, like you're going to be miserable. And I think you just need to be who you truly are. And that's like how you're going to be the happiest. And it's going to lead to a happy life. I think for me, it would be um, setting goals. I guess it could be for young young people or even adults. Um, setting goals for yourself and trying and striving yourself to carry out those goals because in the end, it'll be worth it. I think I want to agree with everybody that those are all things that are important to me. I would I would add that like, you know, at the end of the day, I want to feel like I lived an authentic life, like a life that feels like I was who who um, sounds weird, but it, I want a life that, that I look back on and I think that's who I am. That's who I'm proud to be. That part of my life is um, like my, my own personal legacy for myself is like, I have lived a life of integrity and authenticity. I was going to add, um, I, and I'm forgetting the quote, but there's a, um, 
the sense that um, this is not the right way to say it. If if I if I were to have prepared the answer, it would sound much more eloquent than what I'm about to say. But you've used everything up, like you've done all you can to extend what you have and make something in the world. Like you've you've squeezed whatever that expression is. You've squeezed it all out of of your life so that when you can look back at the end, there's that feeling that you've, you've, you've used it, you've used your life. Um, and I think it ties with all of these things. I think that, you know, when we're thinking also about, um, it, it's easy to sometimes to say things like, um, we want, you know, joy and happiness, what you were saying in the beginning, Mike, but I think if we don't have those freedoms, like Simon was referring to, it's hard to focus on all of those other things. So I, I just hear what everybody's saying. Like I, I, you know, I want it, like it all resonates in different ways, but at the root of it is like that sense of being able to have freedom and not, not feel anxiety about, you know, having your, your needs met. I wanted to um, add to what Mike said also about um, finding uh, or that like search for authenticity and integrity. I think that's like a lifelong growing process um, and one that I'm in the middle of probably still. But I think that um, part of a good life is, is continuing that that process of self-discovery and, and um, self-improvement um, and just kind of learning more about yourself and about the world always. I wanted to say that um, I want to look back at my life and leave a legacy of helping others um, who are less fortunate than myself. Um, yeah. So my next question for you all is about community. And it's what makes a thriving community. And I have like two kind of questions that um, like co that go along with that. The first one is what do you think um, makes it hard to thrive in a community? And then the second question here is, is there any difference for school communities versus non-school communities? Um, so you definitely want to answer that first one, if possible, if you feel like you want to answer that. Um, the other two, you can kind of add to it or follow up there. I think what makes a thriving community, for me at least, is just opportunity. I think just like the more opportunities that are available, the more you're going to be able to grow as a student in a school community or as a leader outside of school or just as a person. Um, and I think just like engaging and meeting new people and just trying to create an inclusive and meaningful space for everybody is what really leads to a thriving community. Yeah, uh, I agree with Jared on the school part of it. You really do need opportunities in order to like grow your community. But like overall, I would say communication is just like the number one thing within like all communities. Like if you're not talking, it's like nothing's gonna happen. Nothing's gonna change. So I think a thriving community is one that is built around everyone working for the good of each other. Um, and a healthy community also works well when it includes people of all races, genders, and it shouldn't matter if you're rich or poor. The, I, I, for me, I don't think that that point can be understated. You know, like when, when a person or a community is thriving, in my point of view, when it's everyone thriving, right? There's like no, I don't, I don't lose out when someone else makes $15 an hour at their like minimum wage job, you know, 
I don't lose out when somebody else has a robust retirement, right? In fact, that just makes me happy and better because then I'm not having to like, you know, I don't have to worry about those other people in my community because I know that they're happy and thriving and doing well. Um, and so, yeah, I think I just agree with you, Kyle. I think um, for me, a thriving community has uh, shared values and maybe some shared goals and they don't all have to be shared um, or, or the same. And in fact, they probably shouldn't be. Um, but I think having some sense of uh, communal purpose, I think is important. And um, especially in school communities, I think that can make it uh, difficult to thrive as a community because often schools are so large um, and there are so many different kinds of people um, and so little to connect them besides the fact that they're all at the same school um, that it's uh, difficult to create that kind of supportive environment where everyone is thriving. Uh, one thing that makes it hard to thrive as a community I would say is um, judgment of others and I think that will completely destroy a community um, and nothing like nothing. I wanted to add something um, kind of building on something Maddie said in the beginning and also what Simon said. Maddie talked about connectedness and Simon talked about communication. Um, I think so often when we're building connections and we're building community with one another, um, especially today, there's this sense of like, you know, growing bigger and bigger. And I think it really lies in the relationships we have with one another, um, that all of our change as a thriving community is rooted in our connection with one another and our, our, our sense of, of uh, communal purpose, which I think also was said before. Um, but um, I, I think it's all rooted in relationships with, with one another, knowing the, the quality of the relationships and the qualities of the individuals. I would add that one thing I see as what makes it difficult to thrive in a community is when people see it sort of as like a win-loss scenario or like a me or another person kind of scenario. You know, when a, when a person says, well, you know, if I'm if I'm getting this thing, it means that there's only one of these things available and, and I should get it and therefore no one else should get it. Um, I think that that can be super challenging. I think that gets to sort of what Jared was saying earlier about opportunity, you know, that there, uh, a, a true community has opportunities for so many different people, so many different kinds of people. Um, I think that's true for school communities too, right? In a, in a robust school community, a thriving school community, there's opportunities for many different kinds of people. Uh, just to build off what you were going to say, Mike, I feel like necessarily that that's not good. That's not good, but at the same time, it's not bad almost. Like it builds a sense of challenge within people to like, you know, go out their way, do more than they're doing, just to be able to like get that one thing. I appreciate that, Simon. I here, I, may I read a quote? There's a, an author that I like, Adrienne Marie Brown. And um, I was reading a book that she wrote recently and 
she talked about an art to flocking, you know, the idea of flocking, um, staying separate enough not to crowd each other, aligned enough to maintain a shared direction, and cohesive enough to always move towards each other. She also think is kind of beautiful in the, in the way that um, maybe it ties in. I don't know if this is what you meant, Simon, but I think we push one another to move forward. And I think sometimes that push is important. It doesn't mean that you um, want someone else to not do well, but like that drive, that flocking of being both individual and cohesive is important. So building off of that question, my next question is for you, ideally, what role would school play in creating a good life for a thriving community and or a thriving community? So, I mean, you have your school community, which is like, you know, you don't necessarily have an option to be in it, but it's like, it's better to be in it because it can help you later on the road, you know, helps you with connections, helps you with like getting into better schools, uh, getting like certain opportunities that maybe other people wouldn't get. So I guess in that perspective, it can help you a lot with like your future. Like it, it helps build a road for you pretty much. I would say just like a place where I, I said it before, like a place you can be yourself or like, where you can find people with similar interests to collaborate with one another and just learn and share amongst each other. I feel like that's really what the school space should be. I think right now, at least the way I see it, there's not enough time to really collaborate with peers. It's more adults telling you what to do and not peers working with one another and collaborating with one another, which like in the end, the peers that we're all in the classroom with are what are going to like we're going to be the next generation of future leaders and future like CEOs and stuff. And we need to be working with each other more and collaborating more instead of having adults that aren't going to be there when we're taking over the world, like telling us what to do, if that makes sense. Uh, I think also uh, providing opportunities and preparing you to have that good life or however you want that to go, but just preparing you. I think, um, kind of building off of what Jared was saying, uh, schools should teach uh, students to think critically. Often um, we're just kind of fed information and we do, yeah, we just kind of absorb information, spit it back, and there's no um, collaborate, collaboration or, or kind of collective sharing of experiences kind of like we're doing now. Um, and that, that allows us to think critically about our experiences and um, just to to kind of reconsider what we're being taught um, because I think that's a really important skill in adult life. Um, it's very important to be able to think critically and to kind of take information you're given and consider it and form your own opinions. Um, and if we're not being taught to do that, then I think we'll be kind of useless as a next generation of adults. So I think that our school should provide programs that are built around helping students to learn how to support each other as much as possible. And schools should provide settings that will help students to learn more about each other in terms of our different communities. I think schools also need to help people um, uncover their love of learning in some way, right? Like cultivating you this like desire to be curious 
to pursue new knowledge to I don't even know how I would like how I would um kind of characterize that, but I think like just understanding that like the world's full of challenges and that you can like learn and overcome and like address those challenges, you know. I think also like something that schools don't do right now, but I would love to see them do is, and this I think goes into like helping build thriving communities is like young people need to make decisions about their life and and schools need to support those things. You know, like I, I just see it being critical to, to the growth and development of young people, right? Y'all need to make some actual decisions about your life. I think to build off of Simon's, Um, earliest point about like financial stability I think that it would be beneficial if schools um, had some sort of formal education about um, I don't know like how to do your taxes or just you know basic how to budget basic things that uh, you need to know as an adult for financial wellness and and just to kind of be uh, stable and have that financial freedom um, that we aren't taught and are kind of expected to know. And those are really, you know, high stakes things for life. Um, and so I feel like it, it would be, it's important to have that um, material in schools. Hey everyone, it's Mike. I really hope you're enjoying this conversation with students in this special episode of Rethinking EDU. Like I said in the beginning, if you'd like more information about this initiative, please go over to 100daysofconversations.org and check out our sister podcast, Diving Deep EDU, with our very own co-host, Matt Downing. A quick interruption to let you know about another great podcast. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Diving Deep, EDU. Thought-provoking conversations. So our next question is, what was important about or in school before but you never really realized how important until this year. You could include information about like the pandemic in this question if you wanted to. Although like, I think what's interesting is um, I think the pandemic has like shifted education pretty dramatically. We could talk about that for like hours, I suppose. Um, But yeah, anybody want to have at this question? I think for me personally, it's time management. I think I've learned that like, with effective time management, you can just free up so much time in a day. Like the difference between that half an hour in between class where I'm like scrolling through social media or that half an hour where I finish that assignment and can like just be done with my stuff a half an hour earlier in the day is just really crucial to just personally, even mental health, just like being able to be yourself and have a life outside of school is really important. And I've found that like one adapting to the virtual space that like just time management and managing your time properly and effectively is really, um, really nice to have. It's just a skill you can't, like it's not, it's a skill that it can't hurt to have. I'll I'll share that I think one of the things that I realized 
even more deeply that provides the energy around the learning is being in physical proximity to other human beings, um, that, um, you know, a virtual environment is, is I'm glad to connect with all of you today. And I feel lucky that we can continue to connect at a distance. But um, when I walk out in the world and imagine that like vaccines are coming soon and we're going to be able to be in person, um, I didn't realize how much of a difference, like human bodies together <laughs> really makes, you know, it really means, I mean, we're, we're social, we're like biological, like there's something about being in front of the energy of others that's different from this screen. Um, that's just really evident right now. Um, I, I don't know. I'm finding myself talking to strangers when I go out there, you know, we have all masked up, but I miss that. Um, to, to add on to that, yeah, I think the social aspect of school is really important to, like, not only, like, having, um, just just to learning. I think it's important to, to the learning. I think to add to both of your points, um, it I find that um, I learn from other people, from my peers in school, more often than I learn from or, or I like think critically and develop my thoughts more often with my peers than I do with instructors or teachers. So in my first semester of um, college, I was at home. Um, so I didn't have a peer group really. Um, and now I'm at school. I've been, at, I've been on campus for about a month. And it's one of those things where you don't really realize how kind of bleak your life was until it's like, I mean, cheesy metaphor, but full of color again. And so I have um, a peer group again, and I have friends that I spend time with, and we talk about our classes together. And um, like they share interesting things that they've learned, and I do the same. And it's so much more rewarding to have that, that peer group. Um, and I didn't realize how much I'd missed it or how much it contributed, how much it does contribute to my learning. Yeah, I, I agree with everyone on this point. It just, it opens your mind up to a lot. Like, it really makes you realize, like, you know, how much you missed, or, like, what you didn't realize you had at the time. So I went to school each day working with my teachers and my peers, but I didn't realize how much I took being in school for granted. Like, I now miss being in person, um, having that interaction with my teachers and peers so much. Um, so, but I'm very grateful for the platform such as this, such as Zoom, uh, so that I could get any and all opportunities to interact with my peers. I don't think I have anything to add. Y'all covered it. I miss other people. <laughs> I appreciate the people I'm closest with, but man, like learning in a small group is, is great. And I, I wish, you know, I could have more of that. I'm going to add this next question in here, and I'd love to hear people thinking about that, um, people's thoughts about this. So what are, you, what are you proud of from this year for yourself, for your school community, um, how it handled challenges that it's faced this year? What are you proud of? Uh, for me, I actually got all my work done. Like I wasn't like missing homework assignments and stuff. Like I was on top of all my stuff, so that's one thing. 
Yeah, the same thing for me, like being able to keep up my grades and my work, um, even though it was a hard year. I think for me personally, it was the college admissions process, which is still ongoing. Um, Just like freshman year, if you told me I would have gotten into some of the schools I've gotten into, like I would have just laughed in your face. Um, And I think just in the year we're in and how odd college admissions have been, just the fact that I can still feel like I'm wanted by multiple schools is just a really nice feeling to have. I think I'm uh, proud of the way that my school communities, both my high school and the um, college I'm at now, um, the student bodies are able to be critical of the institutions. Um, I didn't realize, uh, coming to Penn, I didn't realize that that would even be like loud or acceptable. Um, and I realized that Penn as an institution is has a lot of faults. Um, and uh, yeah, a plethora of multi- of like moral issues um, and financial issues, it's a mess. But um, the student body is for the most part, very aware of those issues and very vocal about it. Um, and so I'm just proud that I'm at an institution where the student body is able to be vocal and is vocal and is trying to enact that change and is aware that um, the institution is not perfect and that it shouldn't be romanticized. So I'm mostly proud of how my classmates and teachers um, adjusted to online classes. I wasn't sure about how well we would adjust to the new normal way of learning, but in about a month, I began to adjust. Um, And there's still many challenges that I'm getting used to, but I feel a lot better than I did in the beginning of the year. I feel very proud of the continued ability for us in the physical distance to stay connected. Um, I think all of I, I hadn't used Zoom really before at all. And I think that's like one way we've done it. But um, one of the things that feels um, important is our ability to share stories like we're doing right now. And um, it feels like it continues to fuel the conversation and the work that I have the opportunity to do um, with other people to um, increase and expand those connections, um, both at Revolution as we bring people in to just learn with us alongside us and to um, share what they know, and also um, to bridge the, the communication and the storytelling from different settings and different experiences. So I feel I'm not sure if the word is proud, but it does feel sort of like a sense of pride that we can continue to stay connected. Yeah, similar to Jane's responses, and I hear this a little bit with all of your responses, that I'm proud of just maintaining positive relationships with people that, you know, it would otherwise be difficult to. You know, Jared and I work together closely, and I haven't seen Jared in person in like a year. It's been crazy, you know, Um, and so... And same thing with Kyle, you know, Kyle and I have never met each other in person. And here we are like on this call together and, and working together through the college process. It's been super fun. So, um, so yeah, just 
handling the challenge by continuing to, to rely on relationships. So next question is, knowing what you know now, is there anything you hope will be different about school moving forward? Uh, for me, I guess like the time manage, like school really takes up a lot of your day. Like at least for me, like it takes me like almost an hour and a half to travel to school at home, right? And on top of that, I have practice and then a ride home. So it's already like dark by the time I get home. So having that homework to do stuff, like I don't really have much time for myself that much. So if schools could be like more aware of that part, that'd be nice. I think for me, I would say, like I, I would hope that teachers can get a better understanding of teens' mental health. I think the pandemic has taken a big toll on students' mental health. And I just wonder and I hope that teachers can be properly like, just properly teach knowing that. I think a lot of teachers have just like adapted all their typical plans from years past in person to a virtual setting. But a student sitting on a Google Doc for three hours trying to write an essay after six hours of Zoom calls all day might not be the best thing in the world. And I think I would love and I just hope that teachers can understand that and try to teach around that. So moving forward, I hope that students will be able to return to in-class learning, of course, with all safety measurements in place. Um, if not, I hope that online learning will continue with support of both the teachers and students. Um, after leaving high school, I would like to reach out, reach back and help teachers to help students such as myself um, through this online process. I mostly share Jared's ideas. I think it, um, it's really important for educational institutions to, to um, try to find a balance between um, student health and, and learning because oftentimes learning is prioritized over health and uh, trying to learn when you're not in a healthy mental state doesn't work. But I think a lot of places don't and teachers don't realize that or they're in like a situation where they can't they have to you know get through their curriculum and they there's no room for them to um, support students so I think that needs to be changed I was thinking the same thing as Maddie and Jared yeah my thoughts are pretty much in line with your guys's thoughts I mean and also I just want to reiterate what Simon's talking about like I don't understand why schools have to continue to think that the only learning that really matters is like when it happens inside a building, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. It, and, and I think like, here's the, here's the lesson, right. Is the lesson is like conversations like this are just as valuable in like, in our, in my reflection about my world and like, hopefully they're valuable to you. I don't know, but, um, School's not going to give you a grade for this. And like, yet, yet this is valuable, right? And so like, I don't, why? Why doesn't school honor that? I don't, I don't know. So I, I hope that the pandemic and like just schools in general pay attention to time. Like, let's, let's give Simon a break. He's got a mad commute to school and practice. That's crazy to me. And I, I agree with you, Mike. And and one of the other things I was hearing um, from both Simon and Jared is is it's not a break. It's like time to 
be still and be yourself and do the things that feel really nourishing for you. Um, I don't know, Jared, but I know Simon, like, uh, you know, we recently talked about, um, you know, just the, the fit, getting fit, like being physical, running outside. And he was talking about practice, like the kinds of things that these are, these are parts of your life that fuel you and nourish you. And um, I think about um, the word that y'all have been using is balance. Um, it's, it's, it's balance. Like, I think it's an important thing for us to learn while we're in school, because it is something you need to, I struggle with my whole, like with my life, you know, I have my, my kids keep coming in the door here, you know, it's, it, right now the pandemic is, it, there's a lot of things that pull, pull at your attention. So if we could focus on that in schools moving forward, it would help us as we move through life. All right. So the next question I want to pose is a description question, right? Describe an empowering learning experience you've had either in or outside of school sometime in your life. Um, and remember that empowering means that it made you feel stronger, more confident, anything along those lines. And I want you to think about specifically if you can reflect on what made it feel empowering for you. Um, for me, there were a lot of moments um, last school year where we would go outside um, and talk to people. Like there, there are a lot of times where we did like interviews um, with you know strangers on the street, and I think that was that was a very empowering experience. Experience because for me that can feel like it can be kind of um, scary sometimes, but you know, learning to like push myself and then being able to apply that to other things as well. Yeah, I agree with Maria. Like last year, like we got the map, we had, we had like the foundation like put down for us and it was up to us to like go there and like achieve our goals and do what we had to do. I think for me, this one's out of school. Um, it actually just happened this weekend. I, I'm coming off of a weekend of um, coordinating a convention for around 2,500 people from 47 countries um, and just, finding ways to adapt and evolve traditions from like over almost a hundred years of history for this organization um, and transform it into a digital space was just an unbelievable learning experience that I'll just absolutely never forget. I um, had a class that I took junior year um, of high school and um, I think that class just taught me how to learn at up until that point, I had been um, learning and, and, you know, saying what was expected of me and writing what I, in my essays and stuff, what I thought I wanted, what, what I thought people wanted me to write. But um, that class uh, forced me to consider my own experiences and my own opinions. And there was no expectation and nothing that was um, right. So uh, I had to, you know, just think about my own identities and my values and incorporate them with my experiences um, to think critically about the stuff that we were learning in the class. Um, and it, it taught me the value of my own opinion and my own um, identity and, and stuff like that. And I think that that was really empowering. I feel that one of the biggest empowering learning experiences that I've had, especially during this school year, is once again adjusting to online learning. So I struggled with keeping good schedules 
organizing and planning my lessons, especially being able and um, yeah, I had trouble with that. So <clears throat> working with my peers has been very challenging, but we were able to create ways to interact with each other um, and get group assignments done. I think this is a hard one for me, actually. Like I have to think about a really long time ago when I had some sort of empowering learning experience. Even like I'm nearing the tail end of a doctoral program and I haven't loved a lot of it. <laughs> I haven't loved a lot of the learning that I've done in that program. Um, but I'll, I'll say like I facilitated a uh, incubator experience for some colleagues and some other teachers that I know where we just sat in a room and, and talked about our thoughts about our life and talked about how we could take the next step to making those thoughts come into reality. And that was pretty empowering for me, like helping people envision what is, what does it mean to be happy for them? And like, how can they actually take a next step into, do, into doing that? Um, I felt like that was super empowering. It's a hard question, I feel like, from an adult perspective. It is, and that's super interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I have to say, I, I feel very grateful to be doing what I'm able to do right now with um, young people in the school because it feels, it does feel like there's a sense of, you know, um, there's a flexibility and there's a sense of empowerment that comes from trying something new um, and different. And pandemic has made it a little bit unusual, but um, but there is, um, you know. It, it like, you know, I, I'm, you know, 20 years out of an experience of, you know, being like in a, in a formal school experience and um, the, the type of learning and the, the feeling that you can be connected on the ground to doing things that are making a difference, I feel like allows you to feel empowered. Um, it's an interesting question though, that as an adult, like where are the places you feel empowered? Is it that there's a different power structure. Like we have a different ability to um, voice and vote. And I feel like there's also little things that you can do in your life that small bits of empowerment. Telling my child that he has to go to bed at 8.30 is very empowering. <laughs> I think the note about, just quickly the note about, um, environment and empowerment is really important because um, coming out of my high school environment and into a college environment was a big switch, but getting the, um, like a totally new environment was empowering because it gave me an opportunity to um, explore myself more and who I want to be with other people in a place where nobody knows me yet. Um, and so kind of rediscovering myself was very empowering. So we've got like one and a half more questions left here. I appreciate all of your reflections so far. Um, you know, not to leave off without addressing some big ones. And so this question I think is, um, I think important and hard. So what does equity in education look like to you? And equ equity means fair and that everybody has what they need. Um, and as you're thinking about that, uh, I have some follow-up questions you can think about. Is your school equitable? Is our system equitable? Um, 
when you think about your school, whose voices are typically, whose voices are heard, whose aren't heard, who, um, you know, what perspectives are brought to the table typically? Uh, so yeah, this is a tough question. <laughs> this is an interesting question for me personally, because I started out at a public school and then transferred to a private school. So I've seen from both like sides of the aisle, I think private school and where I am now, yes, absolutely. Like, I think everything is very like fair and everybody has equal opportunity. I think in the public school system, I don't think that's the case. I think there's definitely, um, I, I just personally witnessed a ton of like racism, sexism um, among students in the public school system. Um, so that's just something I found very interesting between um, my freshman year at a big public school and the last two and a half years at a private school. Yeah, so actually I'm the same as Jared. Freshman year, I went to a public school. And uh, the past year and a half now, I've been at a private school and it's a big difference. Freshman year is just like, I'm not gonna say it, but like there's just some teachers that just like, you can tell like their ego, like not their ego, but their attitudes change around certain people or they have like favorites or stuff. Like it's just, it's not really fair, but it's like, there's not much you can do. And at private school I'm at now, like everything is a lot more fair. Like I feel like I can speak my, be myself at least. This is interesting for me because I never went to a public school, but my experience at a private school was not like the equitable one that you guys are talking about. I mean, uh, being white, I feel like I had a place of privilege in the school, but um, for students of color and students in the LGBTQ plus community, um, there was a lot of uh, kind of quiet marginalization that went on and the administration at the school did very little to address it or very little of like concrete to address it. Um, and so I feel like that was really detrimental to uh, marginalized like students learning in a way that it's is difficult to see um it's not obvious and i don't think we think about it but it adds a lot of stress to a person's day that um kind of builds and affects their learning and and their experience at school over time um and i i don't think we think about that enough uh, yeah, all of the schools that I went to were all pretty equitable in um, background, in, in students' backgrounds and, you know, their identities. But I think uh, one area where they were lacking was with uh, learning disabilities um, and, and just the way that they dealt with that. I, I, I had, a, you know, there was, it was never really a there is never really a concrete way that teachers dealt with that. So I think that, you know, students who had learning disabilities were often left behind in those situations, at least in the last school that I went to. So I would like to see that equity in education is provided to all students in our system, whether um, they're poor or rich. Um, this would ensure that all students have a fair chance of receiving a good education. I'm proud, I'm proud to say that my school, um, I think all the voices are heard and respected. Um, and we're all allowed to express how we feel on certain topics. 
I think this question is complicated for me. Like equity in education in part looks like access. So how do students get access to high quality? Let's talk about just buildings, right? Like I work in a really lovely, very old building, but that's, and, and we have like a really nice HVAC system, which was upgraded very nicely when, when the pandemic hit. But that wasn't true for most students and still continues to be untrue for most students. Um, I think the way our, our school treats individual students and families is equitable. Do I think most schools are like that? I, I don't. I don't think that the system that is that we have designed for most students is an equitable system. I think that most schools don't talk about what Maddie is talking about um, when it comes to individual in, individuals' experiences with, within school. There's not enough listening going on amongst decision makers at all levels within schools. Um, I think that our school had a really rude awakening last year when the heads of our school were basically called and called out in a meeting that said, you know, there are racist things that happen at this school and it's, it's on you to do something about it. And if you don't, then students will not want to come to your school. And I think we've seen that in, you know, the Instagram feeds that were developed um, this summer, right, which are highlighting the experiences of students of color at private schools throughout our region. You know, I see that as happening um, because those voices aren't being listened to and aren't being trusted and aren't being really brought up at all. Yeah, I could talk about this for a very long time, <laughs> I think. I would love to hear, um, you know, this is like sort of the end of this question line. I would just love to hear a little bit more from people like, what do you think schools got to do better to become more equitable in your points of view? Uh, for me, uh, from the public school side, it's care, to be honest. Like uh, some of those teachers didn't even look like they cared. Like they didn't look like they wanted to be there. They just didn't want to have like nothing to do with you. They were just there for the check and out kind of situation. I think schools also need to um, build students' confidence in themselves academically more. I think a lot of um, issues with inequity in schools um, ends up having a detrimental effect on um, students' perception of their um, academic competency. And um, so then they don't end up, you know, taking the opportunities that they could or, or, or doing the things that they could because they think that they're not good enough. Um, when in fact they are, they just haven't been given the opportunity to be good enough. Um, and so I think schools need to inspire that confidence and give those opportunities to students. I mean, I think Maddie said it perfectly, but like, just, I think a lot of students also are afraid to speak up because they're afraid of like administration and like teachers and just the adults, um, which goes back to my point from before about opportunity. I think we need more opportunities for students to be able to like freely and maybe even anonymously share their thoughts and speak their mind. And I think that's the only way we're going to really get somewhere with having a more inclusive environment in our schools. 
I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this question, but what can be done beyond sharing thoughts and speaking minds? Because my experience at my high school was that we did a lot of sharing thoughts and speaking minds and it did very little. The school would release an announcement saying like, we're sorry, like we'll make an effort to change and this is unacceptable behavior, blah, blah, blah. And then the culture wouldn't change. There would be no administrative change, nothing top down. And I think so. So I wonder what else we can do besides sharing thoughts and speaking out to make that concrete change. Uh, I feel like to me, like people struggle with that kind of change because it's like from a young age, it's just like it's built into their minds. But, you know, that's the way you're going to act. So like racism almost. Like to me, it's just like people are racist because it's built into them from a young age. So they just don't know how to like think better than that. That's what they think is normal to them. So I just guess like starting from a young age and like building it, like making sure people know that's not what you're supposed to do. I think you're raising a really important question about accountability here, Maddie. It's like, so this thing happens and accountability is necessary. But what does that look like, you know, like, and, and who's got the courage to do that? I think that's really hard. And I don't think that there's like great answers, you know, because who's doing that work? <laughs> like, where are the models? Like, who, who do you all know? Like, who are holding people accountable, but not in a way like, um, not in like a punitive way. Like we see the, you know, the, uh, I don't even know what the penitentiary industrial complex is not the way to go, right? And so the question is like, how do we hold account of, how do we hold people accountable? But like, say, maybe to Simon's point, like you were young when you, when you were, you were like uh, learning this way and it's not right, but we don't want to discard you. We want to say like, let's get better together. And then where's the proof? Like you go, yeah. I think. Um, one of the things that you're all making me think about is um, the question of how do we change systems um, and how do we move from um, one thing that's making me think also is moving from something that I think you said Maddie which was and maybe Jared also and maybe Kyle this idea of um, consumption versus creation that in, that's so like if we our systems are designed for sort of like a consumptive view of education but if we can co-create it from a young age and make more spaces where we have um you know and speaking to you know the, the idea of voicing your thoughts but having the thoughts actually influence something that changes that's what empowerment feels like um, if you can actually see that the things you're suggesting um, and, and some of those places that I feel like our systems are, are things like our systems of feedback and grading, or even like our schedules, you know, Simon was speaking and, um, Jared was speaking about having so many things to do, like, where can we create spaces that are equitable? So your voice is in the decision to create a schedule. Um, and I know we're talking about bigger issues too. We're talking about um, issues related to um, equitable access. But um, many of these things that are baked into our systems 
are preventing us from um, realizing that kind of equity. So we're kind of wrapping up here. Is there, I would just love to hear, is there any other thoughts that people have? Anything else that's on your mind about education that you might want to share? Like anything about the future of school that you might want to share for this conversation? More maybe just like the future of school. I just hope like in the future, I just hope teachers understand and administrations understand that like not every student fits the like learning mold per se. And like not every, not every student like is like sticking to the status quo when like learning. So I think it's very important that teachers grasp a better understanding of like the fact that students learn differently and like we need to find better and more interactive ways to make sure students aren't just sitting at their desk listening to a presentation for 45 minutes and then leaving and coming back and repeating the next day. So little things like that that I just really hope administrations and teachers can really think about for the future. I just wanted to add, I feel like um, I hope that schools begin to change um, or realize the value of change on an institutional level um, because we expect so much of our teachers and and things on a classroom level, a day-to-day like person-to-person basis, but a lot of those things can't change without um, institutional change, giving the teachers more flexibility to take care of their students, um, putting in you know, inputting like standards of behavior so that students, student interactions can be healthier. Um, That sort of thing. I think we need more of that. Thanks so much for sticking with us for this whole conversation. We hope you loved it. And like we said before, check out 100daysofconversations.org. And as always, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and check us out at rethinkingedu.co. Thanks for listening.